Paul, what's a totally innocuous thing in your life that you can reimagine as a sort of alien doodat? Um, my self-respect. <laughs> what's it covering up? Because um, if you've got like a subway train that's actually like a, a speed train across the Atlantic or something, or yeah, I don't know, something from one of the good ones. I, I, I do project a certain train-like self-respect <laughs> by wading headlong into conversations I know nothing about. I present a very English train style self-respect yeah. approach of just, I've been in a station for seven hours. <laughs> mm. It's how you, everyone goes through Northampton. But it does actually cover, in a very real sense, an actual London Midland train. Um, I've been long in their employ uh, to try and keep up with Virgin trains. Um, just You're paying 60 quid for an impromptu return to Northampton from London, Paul. Yeah. You've got a, a single, sorry. You've got a, a lot of people would, you've got to pretend that it's good. A lot of people would rather just cling on to the self-esteem of a, of a fraught man as he uh, travels around the country. At the speed of esteem. Some people don't like to make a fuss, so they hang on to... They, they call me the esteem engine. <laughs> Very... Oh, that's the level I'm operating at today. Fuck yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> I didn't even see that coming. It was hit, hit me like an esteem engine. It was fantastic. big red button but it doesn't do what you think don't press it just don't just leave it there i'm paul gonna come if you press that button i'm an incredible catch and <laughs> we're nearly done with 2019 all of it throw it out throw the Ooh. rest out rise of the skywalker little women trump's impeachment done. throw it all out we're done we're finishing <laughs> the whole debacle with men in black international we are the best kept secret in the universe i know i want in you erased my parents memories but you didn't get mine Took me 20 years to find you. How many people can say that? I found you. Agent M, we may have a problem in London. You will be with Agent H. MIB, you Karelian scum. But FYI, your little club here sucks. Come on, the world's not gonna save itself. I'm driving. The tallest film. The tallest film in the whole world. Kevin Spacey loves it. The first film in the series not to be filmed by Barry Sonnenkat. Oh my god, I didn't even yeah. see that reference to Twelve um, Nine Lives again. <laughs> you surprise yourself. I do. Um, it's all so nuanced, and, this podcast. It's I mean, like The Wire. I mean, how old was he when he started anyway? Because, you know, he, well, that's true. Barry Sonnenkat's only lived till about 15. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, consequently, as a result of not being filmed by that cat, this film wasn't filmed from directly inside of the characters' faces like the last one was. <laughs> and now I own a cat. That's very understandable. <laughs> it is. That's all he can see. I see why that happened now. He's very short-sighted, so he has to get right up to Will Smith. To sit on him when he's trying to do something, like get dressed. Well, look, it's a bad year for producers and directors actually getting on because director F. Gary Gray uh, originally got involved and recruited Chris Helmsworth and Tessa Thompson based on a script that was much edgier oh. and had actual things to say about uh immigration policies okay yeah but uh producer, but here enter producer walter f parks mm, here we go he threw out entire sections of the script sent daily rewrites to thompson and helmsworth to the point that they got so frustrated they hired their own dialogue writers because you can fucking do that apparently <laughs> somebody tell everyone involved with m night Shyamalan. i mean that again this feels like a very 
tumultuous divorce, doesn't it? <laughs> Bring in your own lawyers. Don't take this the wrong way, but we've decided not to read the lines you wrote, but the lines that Gary wrote. <laughs> he directed parts of the movie without Grey present, he edited it himself, and did the colour correction. Uh, correction, what? And the word correction is used quite wrongly in this instance. The studio ended up with two cuts, Gary's, uh, sorry, Grey's, Gary's, Gary's cut, and also <laughs> Grey's cut and Park's cut. And they I can't wait for three. Gary's cut to come out on Blu-ray. <laughs> Look, release Gary's cut, everyone. Hashtag, make it happen. Uh, they screened both to test audiences, and apparently they decided to go for fucking Park's cut. So what the fuck must Gray's cut have been like? God, too good, I imagine. It's like Blade Runner 2. <laughs> I like it, but it could be worse. Paul, it's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry what? about any uh, of this. Oh. It's fine um, because the screenwriters for this film are now working on the new Masters of the Universe film. Oh, great. Good stuff. The Bank. original screenwriters or Chris Hemsworth's or what? <laughs> Fucking producer Parks. God knows. Somebody, somebody from this utter debacle is now working on Masters of the Universe and it's not Sean Phil. Producer Parks sounds like a South Korean businessman who's come in. <laughs> His first name is Producer. His parents were very optimistic. <laughs> Speaking of producing, this film is executively produced, that's how you say that, by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, very much like the first three entries of the uh, franchise. Now, the list of movies that have been executively produced by Steven Spielberg <laughs> is interesting. Mm. Um, classics like Gremlins, Bat the future one through three who framed roger rabbit all great then the flintstones twister deep impact mm. and the lovely bones yeah but also casper I mean, and the haunting 99 so he is a three man oh great okay well wel- <laughs> welcome in you old man <laughs> you old brilliant um, man you're a long way from the 70s now aren't you son oh free to remain free in a bush free free no. films are shit mate i mean what does it mean to executive produce a film does it just mean to it say, you, here's some money? It, yeah, it basically means you never visited the set. You came like yeah. twice and everyone shook your hand, but otherwise you were the guy <laughs> who like, oh yeah, he, uh, you should work with this music guy. Yeah, look, if I came twice, I'd expect everyone to shake my hand as well. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Idiot. Excellent. <laughs> oh, and he also did Transformers. 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 He did Transformers one through all of them. Great, so he's a foreman. Oh, God. Do you know what? You know what? He's undone Armistad. Unmade. <laughs> Doesn't exist anymore because of your sins. You watch it, son, or it's going to be another one of your minor masterpieces. Maybe Catch Me If You Can or The Post or something. That's how it works. It doesn't matter what way... good you do. On this, positive, <laughs> on this positive podcast, one good thing. <laughs> we eliminate. Your mistakes are only so far behind you, mate. <laughs> It's a long way off of getting rid of anything like Jaws. But uh, if I were War of the Worlds, I'd be looking over my shoulder right now. Now, speaking of three men, yeah, fuck it, let's do it here. Cool. Uh, Joachim Scarly is a three man, having played Ministry of Magic Wizard in Crimes of Cumberbatch. Ah. Policeman in Snowman. Remember that? Remember Policeman in that? Nope. And Passerby in MIB International. Oh. But he also played Gig Punter in Rocket Man, which I read as Pig Gunter, which uh, is an altogether different <laughs> entity. I'm pretty sure that was uh, Stephen Graham's name in that film and Hellboy. <laughs> he insists on it. It's his birth uh, name. Nasir Jammer. Gotta keep it alive somehow. Nasir, you gotta, you gotta keep it. Gotta keep that oral tradition of Pig Gunter alive. <laughs> uh, Nasir Jammer has appeared in six movies, an entire career, and three of them we've covered. So that's uh, an impressive <laughs> kill ratio there. Good I don't think anyone's ever. Rate managed anything quite as accurate as that but um he did crimes of cumberbund the mummy and this mm. also west midlands man richard price is a three man having appeared in the uh crimes of grubbly plan <laughs> holmes and watson the shame and this shame how are so many people 
in Crimes of Bunderwand? I don't know. It's just background fucking magic people. I mean, they both look as ugly as each other. <laughs> like can- candy, chintzy, two-dimensional background type feel that both yeah, of maybe, films bring. Maybe they used the same fucking sets and they just, those guys were just hanging around and managed to get yeah. in frame. Yeah, they do feel like a very similar watching experience, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah. whatever. Just start, start. Where does one finish and the other begin? <laughs> No is the answer. Liam Neeson is a foreman, or yeah. pro- or a proper three-man, if you refer back to our haunting episode. Uh, he's definitely no longer held in high esteem, as we suggested at the time. So, um, great. Now, Mark Falvo, who only became mm. a three-man last week in Glass, is now a foreman. Greedy Whoa. little boy. <laughs> Jesus. Read him I and know. weep, mate. <laughs> he's, What's he in this? shooting for the top. Oh, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't check these things. I don't check. I just take word for it. Some bloke down the pub told me. So you know that Mark Falvo? I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Always tries to walk it in. I, I, I'd really recommend Googling him because his, his the picture that comes up on Google is interesting. Oh, that's right. This is the guy who's been in every DC movie. He's a protester in Wonder Woman 1984. And he was in, no, no. in Mindhunter as an FBI guy a lot. Really? Oh, I'll probably recognize Uncredited him. every time. Oh, he was MIB agent. Great. <laughs> I'm glad I looked that up. Look at this fucking picture of him on Google, though. The first result. He looks like, um, oh, what's his name? The, the shit-eating guy from uh, corporate movies. Uh, the one who was the bad guy in um, The Warriors. He was in Twin Peaks. Uh, David. Oh. Patrick. Three name. I don't know. David Patrick Kelly. That's who he looks like. Wow, that pit. Yeah. <laughs> that is a crunchy old biscuit. <laughs> I don't even... No, I just don't know. It doesn't ring a bell. I've been watching Mindhunter as late as today. And, uh, <laughs> as late as now. Nothing. And uh, just doing nothing. Uh, believe it or not, Paul, I still got to go through the critics. Um, <laughs> the film was received by critics like an insidious alien workforce undermining American values. Oliver Jones at The Observer says the main issue is the script. The tale it tells is shop-worn. I just like that. Shop-worn? Shop-worn. Fantastic. I'm, I mean, when there's a word... That you just land on sometimes. The rest of the re- review doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't even matter what the meaning of that word is. And you just got to use okay, it. Okay, Mr. Kermod, what did you think of um, Men in Black International? Kerfuffle. Yes. That's very good. <laughs> Rapturous applause. He's wanked off by everyone in the room. He comes twice and everyone shakes, shakes his, hand. his hand. Yeah. <laughs> you really want to give a breathing period to that. <laughs> no, you got to do oh, it while God. it's still warm. <laughs> You've got to get in there. You've got to strike whilst the cum is warm, as my dad always told me. Now look, absolute unsung champion of film criticism, Paul Salt, writing for the always brilliant and mind-blowing Screen Mayhem, said. Usually always. Usually always. The vulgarity of the film is evident in everything from the garish character design to the overly insistent music that features Danny Elfman's original theme, only louder. Perhaps this might be described as Men in Black, only louder. Very nice. Fuck yeah. Yeah, thanks. It's pretty um pretty memorable uh, tagline for that review, if I remember. Ah, oh, for Christ's sake! Yes, every reviewer made a neuralizer joke, including me. So sorry, sorry. That means you're a reviewer. You're a real one. <laughs> Genuinely, when I was looking for reviews for this, I found about seven more. Well, the f- the film makes that joke about three times as well. So great. You're in great company. I love the way that they explain lengthily a lot of shit and then neuralize people just for their own benefit. That's so fucking sadistic. <laughs> also, I had sex with your mum. It was really good, actually. I really liked it. <laughs> You're a shitty ball bag. Look here. No, I'm not going to look here, actually. You've, you've, you've got to. You've got it. No, I'm putting on these yeah. sunglasses. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> Fuck. Don't. <laughs> don't. What happens if the MIB need to cover up an incident, like on a beach? <laughs> 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 
Now these dicks don't know anything. Well, okay, first of all, you said that after the neuralizer. And second, what are you on about, mate? I, I always think when, when you when you do neuralize somebody and you're standing there and there's still an explosion. Like you do <laughs> it and then you're like, Oh, this you. is still this is still shopping trolley accident. Oh pff, okay, this is still pff, and you're just going further, further back until <laughs> they can't see you anymore. And then you hide behind a bin. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Well, I Gonzalez Jr. on Google said, oh, no. movie is okay. My 13-year-old son and his friend left halfway through the movie as they were un- as they were that uninterested. So the movie was fine. The kids I was with <laughs> left halfway through. I don't know where they are now, but I thought it was fine. Movie five stars, kids two and a half stars. <laughs> need to raise their game. They're on the iPhones. Still not glad I did it. <laughs> Kay Lee on uh, Google said, not basically, I don't like this film. It's bland, and the only thing saving it are the characters. Below is further criticism of the film. And I just appreciated the uh, the concise. Here's your mini statement. <laughs> TLDR. If you're, interested, <laughs> if you're interested, below is further criticism. <laughs> yeah, so I guess this this film's not very good. But what continues now is further criticism of the film. No, actually, it's more about me as a person. <laughs> I'm actually gonna have a bit of a diatribe here. I've been going through some shit. And I feel like Men in Black ties into it uh, nominally, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna explore that. And now on the subject of Trump's impeachment, <laughs> what I really think is that it's a Jewish conspiracy to try <laughs> <laughs> all that, all that. All further, that. further criticisms of the and state below. It's legit. Yeah. Fucking hell. Salt of Screen Mayhem's got something to learn through. <laughs> usually, usually awesome. Twenty thirty. 2030, 70-30 is how that worked. Usually awesome, sometimes really, really bad. Like, <laughs> a spiteful for no reason. Well, it's just like um, the best doctor in the world probably has an awful bedside manner. He spits you, you, inside you... of every third patient. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's such a renegade and he saves so many people. <laughs> how good would film criticism need to be to have you forgive an overtly anti-Semitic reviewer? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know he goes on about it sometimes, but when he doesn't, oh, man. I mean, it'll make you see things you've never seen before. I mean, Rob Asia, it comes to mind. He's not, I don't think he's anti-Semitic, but he's anti-some stuff. But he's still, I do still sometimes watch his Kubricks. So I guess sometimes you can be, you, look, the, the moral of this, this whole podcast so far, is that sometimes you can be a better critic than racism. <laughs> and the thing is as well, Roger Ebert was a, was a one-star racist. He had, some, he had some real prejudices there, but he didn't wear it enough. And that actually was worse for him. Because you thought, well, it was you, you know your films. Worse for society. What else do you know? Mm. Amateur racist. All right, the film has 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 66%. No, it isn't. Yay! I hate this. Hey, people who say that Rotten Tomatoes audience scores mean anything, get fucked. I mean, they mean they, they do mean something. They mean one very particular thing, one very specific <laughs> niche thing. And that's that. They mean that Russians have really great bots. <laughs> um, so, Paul, you man and woman in black. Uh, oh, <laughs> what's one thing about Men in Black International that made you think the universe had led you to exactly where you needed to be at the moment you were supposed to be there watching Men in Black International? Yeah, great. Uh, it's the, use of the <laughs> use of the original music pool was a very smart move, I think. Yay, gotta... Danny Elfman. He was good. Yeah, cling on to whatever fucking iceberg you can. <laughs> Going through space. I remember when Danny Elfman did the music. Fantastic. Well... That spaceberg has passed. Yeah. So. All right. Well, what happens in Men in Black International? There's an animated Columbia logo. That pissed me off immediately. <laughs> um, it's, well, it's, it starts with that, that good old classic MIB font, which is also known as the font from the 90s movies. Nice. And, um, and we are presented then with, do you remember Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith? Yeah. Remember the partnership that they had? Yeah. And, um, 
And then also Will Smith and Josh Brolin, weirdly, but was also still quite good. Uh, kind of. Hey, it's Liam Neeson and Chris Hemsworth, everybody. Oh, boy. They're let's like chalk and cheese. How, the how will they like? possibly get on? Well, um, Liam Neeson comes out and it's like, God, do I hate Paris and blacks. <laughs> <laughs> In the past. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus, Liam Neeson. Why would you say that apropos of nothing? <laughs> In an entirely different context. I don't know. I've been struggling lately. Of everything. He says, anyway, H. Anyway, H. You've got to go up to the Eiffel Tower. H. Ah, H. Ah. Fucking knives in my soul. <laughs> H. 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 Does he really say H throughout? He says H. Oh, fuck. And, me. I, and I, I remember this. I, I thought, Christ, who else in this piece of shit says H? I was just <laughs> him, actually. Everyone else says H. Which is the Race, name of the letter. Race Fool said the ancient Latin name for H. It was great. I wouldn't dare try to try and pronounce it, but it was poetic. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the sound of the letter, isn't it? <sighs> Come on, Liam. We've, we've been through this. <laughs> I, I can't answer now. I've got to go visit a friend in the H, H-, H- hospital. <laughs> got to go visit a, an F friend. <laughs> honest. And then he runs away. H honest. <laughs> Me, a Liam N. Neeson. So... Fucking strange man. So yeah, they neuralize some people and they 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 fight something called the hive. Whatever. And and Liam Neeson says something that causes me to write down the note. The MIB is spiritual now. <laughs> he says something about the universe, like guiding them to where they need to be. I don't remember this being a religious organization. No. I can't imagine Rip Torn being all like that. <laughs> can't imagine Rip Torn, Paul. It's a real serious condition. <laughs> he, t- he took it's that common. bit of me. Very common. <laughs> The stars will align and make sure we're all where we need to be. <laughs> Thanks, Riptorn. Do you want to dance? No. <laughs> Do you want to dance, you fucking... <laughs> Destiny. <laughs> Get the fuck up. They're fighting the hive, and, and then it goes, it cuts to white or something, and then yeah. we're in not the future. We go even further back in the past. Oh, yeah. Tessa Thompson is a young girl. Yeah, it is even further and... back. What a fucking yeah. terrible structure. God yeah. almighty. Well, yes, and we have another scene of the MIB needlessly explaining stuff for the benefit of anyone they haven't noticed standing around. In this t- in this case, what a Temerian is. Tarantian, then... Paul. Know your aliens. Oh, who gives a alien flying, miserable, wet, drizzly fuck. Yes, sir. The creature you saw was an unlicensed tarantian from Andromeda, too. Very rare, very dangerous. I'm sorry. What? Uh, Tarantian, ma'am. No, I know. He looks cute now. Tarantian? They turn into real monsters. A raccoon. Yeah, that's your problem, folks. And yeah, the little the little Tessa Thompson overhears. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. And they don't even. They're so professional. They f- they don't even realise that there's a tiny girl there that they need to wipe the memories <laughs> off. She's upstairs asleep. Okay, yeah. that's good enough for us. Secret organisation that <laughs> yeah. we are. So any anyway, cut to <clears throat> twenty years in the future or whatever. And um, Tessa Thompson's here, and she's fully grown. Oh, as we yes. all hoped and dreamed she would finally be. And <laughs> I kept a calendar. She she's a spunky, cool type. Um, human being now. Call center operator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sally, which is and main main talent that they look for, ability to su- suss out secret organizations, which she does do mostly. <laughs> which is what most of your Vodafone people are doing when you're not speaking to them. They're, um, yeah. they're well, shit on the trail of the them. Illuminati. So yeah, she goes to a crime, well, a scene where she suspects an alien is going to land based on the yes. Daily Mail. She, she the goes The fakest away. looking newspaper I've ever <laughs> fucking seen, Paul. She turns- Talk about fake news. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Oh, impeach Trump. Impeach him. Get him out of there. When I say impeach, I mean throw a peach at him. Put him in a peach. Put him in a peach. Impeach him. (laughs) Impeach him. (laughs) I'll impeach you. (laughs) Anyway, it's a good thing that the secret barrier that they've put up to completely hide the crime scene is so fucking noisy as things go into it. 
vroom, vroom. Yeah. And hey, what was that? Said everyone on the street. <laughs> and actually porous and uh, <laughs> penetrable. <laughs> Thank God. Just in case of any accidents. Look, alien technology is only so good. But it is so good. But it's it only is so, so good. good. Just off to the shops, love. See you in a... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, now I've got to murder you <laughs> and neuralize you. Soz. Just going to lean on this uh, this nice bat. <laughs> Never saw Barry again. <laughs> so, yeah, she finds she finds the M in black. The M in black. And um, she gets uh, herself recruited, kind of. Yeah. She um, kind of forces her way in and meets Emma Thompson. Tessa Thompson meets Emma Thompson. There's oh. a Thompson singularity and it's nightmarish. Very confusing. Thompson on Thompson. So it's like, you can't um, be here any longer. You've got to go straight to London, MIB, where there's... I'm going to in London. There are no Thompsons. <laughs> there's none here, famously. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, are, we, are we not going to have any... Um, not going to have any sort of introduction where, even though you've explained everything to the audience already, I get to be introduced to the wonders of this world for the <laughs> audience's benefit? How about a training montage or the first time I get to encounter any form of alien technology? Nah, fuck it. Just get on the train. Yeah. Get onto the You've train. You've got Chris Hemsworth and Liam Neeson. <laughs> get onto this train that disguises itself as a regular train, even though no one but aliens ever see it. Yeah. And it's so discreet, it can be seen from space. <laughs> Why? I love this. We had I a love... lot of budget. <laughs> we had so much budget. That sums up so much of Hollywood these days. We had a lot of budget, guys. <laughs> Gotta put it somewhere. We don't... Otherwise, we won't get as much next year. Um, Hemsworth uh, manages to fuck his way out of mortal danger, as we all suspect he would. <laughs> Um, There's danger afoot. Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth both like both lie their way into the next scene where they end up in a nightclub. Yes, looking after Nelson Mandela playing an alien. <laughs> That's not what. I thought he was doing like you know Sergey from the fucking compare the meerkat adverse. Hello, I'll get us some drinks. Just till uh, vodka cranberry guy. You know it. It's weird kind of, hey, cousin, let's go bowling. Thank you all for coming. It was weird. There was a track-suited alien. God, maybe they regionized it for Australia. <laughs> like, look, people aren't going to accept this Eastern European alien. Uh, make him sound like... A South African <laughs> figurehead. <laughs> an African... For peace in the apartheid era. Yeah. Excellent. They get into this nightclub, incidentally, through like a weird taxi cab thing where they sit in the back seat yeah. and then the seats go down. Mm. That's quite awkward. How long does it take to get into this club? What if there's a fire? Well, then they take the special CGI train back out of it, Paul. Disguised as an elephant. <laughs> Disguised as a shopping cart. There's a world building dance off and uh, <laughs> and Nelson Mandela, the meerkat, is, is killed by two bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's two bad guys. Twins. Yeah. Um, yes, well, he gets something in his neck. A weird thing flies into it. Uh Uh-oh, I guess he's instantly dead. Oh, no, he's fine. He gets a bit woozy, though. He gets a bit woozy and has to leave, as he would have done anyway. So, Mm. good thing we had all of that. Uh, then they blow up his car. Yeah. Just as Umbargan dies, he bequeaths to Tessa Thompson a dual weapon thing, because uh, he can't trust Chris Hemsworth anymore, because fucking look at him. Yeah. Wearing pink trousers. (laughs) He's a maniac. I know. He's he's the worst. He's he's um got no he's got a top knot, <laughs> and uh, he just keeps. It's someone else's. It's Liam Neeson's hair. <laughs> um. <laughs> he's, he started cycling. He's an, he's all over the shop. He can't even deal with him. Yeah, he, he owns the shoes and he wears them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, they they managed to track basically the twins to this um shop somewhere in the Middle East, yeah. and they go there and find Pawnee. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> what happened here? Oh, we had the best party. Kanye showed up and dropped like a whole new album. And it was some of his best work. Look around. We got our asses kicked. 
There's a bit of comedic physical abuse of a little thing. Yeah. Um, we love that. We actually love that. And then they go to like a marketplace where they meet like um, Phone Jacker. Yep. No, who is it? F- phone it's... and Face Jacker. Oh, it is Phone Jacker. Oh, great. He jacks anything you want, including his Cave and Novak. Beard. That's right. And he's got a little beard thing that he likes to abuse. It's just, it's so great watching little things getting punched. That's, that's, fil- Paul, that's film. This is why... That is film. David Lean said as much. Robbie Collins understands this, Paul, and, and you don't. A film is assembled in the process of hitting little things. Uh, well, they go to an apartment and find a big stack of Amazon boxes, and to which Tessa Thompson says, looks like a couple days worth. Jesus Christ, Tessa Thompson. <laughs> Ad-lib that one, did you? <laughs> Living it fucking large. Christ. Uh, Pawnee mentions Kanye, which is fantastic. Oh, Google Fuck translate yeah. that for me, mate. Go on. <laughs> yeah, Kanye's a little bit five minutes ago. I better get an Uber to a better reference. <laughs> um there's a chase hmm. I, I think what's his name there's a, there's a kind of shitty little guy uh played by ray spall yes who um is at this stage suspecting them and he says um look this is looking a bit sensitive we better keep it quiet and conduct this business in the atrium of mib headquarters where liam neeson easily finds them and tips off um tessa thompson and chris helmsworth that ray spall's after him because mm. he's the bad guy spoilers yeah they end up in the desert um which is yeah. right near where they were. And then Kevin Novak's beard gets his comeuppance finally. No, gets oh, the opposite shit. of his comeuppance. He gets his revenge and by stealing the weapon from Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. And Pawnee, because yes. he's there as well, thank God. Yeah, he's also stolen from. He gets a couple of excellent lines, like, oh, oh they, they, they set the thing off. And it, it, oh God, everything about the scene where they set off the, the weapon is just so good. First of all, doesn't look like it's going to work. And it does! Oh, what? subverted my expectations and then Pawnee says that was the low setting <laughs> oh that is so Pawnee oh. and and now these characters sort of now that they've had the thing robbed off them they sit down and have a boring conversation in the desert and this really does feel like a Barry Sonnen cat film yeah <laughs> feels looks tastes and <laughs> like a and yeah in, in order to get out of that they they decide well let's let's go and meet up with rebecca ferguson because oh, fantastic thank christ we need let's to let's get more respected actors in this fucking thing yeah um they they do because chris hemsworth used to date rebecca ferguson and she's an arms dealer like a crazy one she's got stripy she's hair she's an and arms dealer wild. with a third arm oh my god i didn't even think about that well now you have they script their way through that. They go to oh my grab God, it. I just then... realised how pointless that is. If they just hadn't well, had it's... the thing stolen off of them, nothing would have changed. The twins could have caught up with them in the desert. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, they have to give Chris Emsworth's character some depth. <laughs> he used to date a chick. And they had to tie it up to the tarantian. That, um... Oh God, that was pointless Emily Hooper? Too. Who is it? Oh Jesus. Tessa Thompson. As soon as you... Oh no. It's like Magnolia, mate. Everything's coming together <laughs> in this scene. It's, it's well, genius. Be like it's three of the Paul things. Thomas Anderson, get a It'd job. Like if they introduced a really awkward scene in which three of the things came together and then there was the climax where the rest of the things came together yeah it's not gonna stop so anyway yeah they save it because liam neeson turns up he kills the the shape-shifting guys oh yeah that happens he takes the thing they all celebrate and uh suddenly everyone else like all the main people in the film and race will go oh he's the bad guy isn't he yeah hang on a minute the obvious yeah. red herring is an obvious red herring and liam neeson is obviously liam neeson aka the worst person yeah. we should do something so 
They go and do something, and yeah, they, they go defeat. Him. That's it. They defeat fucking Liam Neeson, and then the movie decides to play that music that plays when Kay gets neuralized in the first film for no fucking reason whatsoever. Nothing moving or interesting is happening. Yeah, well, that that great relationship between Chris Hemsworth and oh. Tessa Thompson that's been building. You know, earlier in the film, we forgot to mention there's there's a bit there where uh, Chris Hemsworth's taken off the case and uh, race ball was put on it, and Tessa Thompson's like, I really want to work with Chris Hemsworth. Why? Well, we've had such a great... Ha- why? Oh, wait, good <laughs> yeah, point. Right. Well, they, they try and do it again at the end of the film. It's like, oh, we, we're being split up. I'm going back to bloody America, land of the free, and you're <laughs> going to be the new head of um, MIB London. Yeah, which means nothing. Overrun by immigrants. In this universe, you could fucking commute from New York to London in the mornings. It would yeah. be fine. It would be easy yeah. and nothing. It's pretty quick anyway. It's like six hours nowadays. <laughs> you do that in a night. Even if you flew economy. If you just... Why so, not? Why? If you just slept on the train there and back, you'd be fine. But no, they have a bit of a, a, a wordless, painful goodbye because oh no. they got such a great relationship going. Oh, I and, love them um, so much. And that that is the equivalent of um, a 50-year-old man having all of his memories wiped. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was Men in Black International. Mm. Um, yeah, pretty poor. Yeah. For me, the big problem with it is the fact that this... Sorry, I just noticed in my notes Chris Helmsworth is written as Christ Helmsworth at one stage. Ah, uh, excellent. And his name's Chris Hemsworth, so you've got it sort of. <laughs> yeah, I, I've alternated <laughs> Helmsworth and Hemsworth throughout this fucking thing, but Christ is new. Tessa Thompson and Chris and Chris Christ Helmsworth—they don't have any differences. They're not an odd couple. They're very similar characters. I told her I had to take care of a couple things before I went back. Yeah, well, like stealing my car. No, like driving it. Oh, well, you're on the right side at least. I'm a quick study. Give me a lift back to London. Road trip. The only difference between them is that one is male and one is female, which isn't much of a difference in this modern era. If it was the 70s, you know, it would be written in a very broad, offensive way that would make them at the very least different. Yes. But there's nothing there. And I really hate the fact that Tessa Thompson's fish out of fish out of wateredness is kind of mm. dropped immediately as soon as she like gets on the mission yeah she's never really out of her depth or yeah she's just no fine. i mean no more so than chris elmsworth where's that sense of wonder yes no no sense of wonder yeah yeah it's integral to this kind of journey it really is it's not necessarily either the actor's fault it's just the script no. really or the the terrible editing that may have excised a more interesting film upon watching it a second time mm. for starters i had no memories of this film from the first time i watched it, it. Came... i couldn't even remember who the who the bad guy no, was the... obviously it was liam neeson but he was possessed and i, I by something and i couldn't remember for the life of no, me who it twins, was or why the twins completely slipped my mind yeah one of the things is i don't think chris hemsworth's actually right for the role no and now having you explain that him and tessa thompson are basically the same character maybe it's just because he's it's redundant yeah it is do you know who's a better character for her to maybe be paired with? Who was more interesting? Rafe Spall. Rafe Spall was a better character. Yeah. When in the scene where he dresses them down, you know, having fucked up mm. the crime scene. Yeah. It's it's almost embarrassing how much better Rafe Spall is than Chris Helmsworth because Helmsworth Hemsworth's meant to be the more the the sort of cool in control kind of hey don't worry about it character. Yeah. But Rafe Spall is doing like a blackadder you know when he's yeah. like talk, going over what baldrick has done that's what chris helmsworth is in this scene he's the baldrick she is a probationary agent so she is not here at all okay, okay? i think you'll find that she yeah. clearly is here because yeah. i can i can see her back in your thank you it was a figure of speech but fine so just to recap um no point a high-ranking member of the Jababian royal family dies on your watch, murdered by assailants that you can't identify for reasons that you cannot begin to fathom. Is that, is that, is that about right? No, why don't you bugger off? Okay, mate, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'll piss off. 
back to the office. Where you belong. To have a little word with high tea. Who will not save you this time? It would have been a really new angle as well. You don't often get a Jobsworth type button down <laughs> character like Rafe Spools in a lead role. And that would have been really interesting, especially because yeah. Tessa Thompson was definitely like the ballsier of the two. Yeah. And she had she had enough bravado for the two of them together. Uh, yeah, again, <laughs> such a missed opportunity. And I feel like, I mean, Chris Hemsworth is now, I, I don't have any particular problem with him because yeah. he's always quite fun to watch. And like, you know, for the last few years, he's gotten into that comedic role, but he's at risk now of being pigeonholed as this kind of slightly yeah. dumb, good looking, yeah. wisecracking action hero. And I don't want him to do, I mean, I don't want that to happen to him. And it's never quite worked, even in any of the times he's played for, I don't think it's ever quite worked as well as James Hunt, where he played a much more interesting version of this character, which was a very handsome, very charismatic, charming figure, but one with definite rage issues and, you know, um, kind of a real arrogance there that I really thought was great. So James Hunt. Uh, in Rush. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that was my favorite Chris Helmsworth performance. Um, and and oh, okay. since then, it has just been kind of shade. It's kind of like Jesse Eisenberg with, um, mm. you know, shades of um, the social network. You know, it's kind of, it has become a sort yeah. of definitive role for him as the sort of, yeah, charming doofus who have a bit of an ego. And it didn't. And, and like you said, it just didn't really need that extra on, on top of Tessa Thompson's character. Yeah. Too similar. And, and yeah, I mean, there are so many great actors in here who the the director or producer whoever just brought out the flattest in all of them yeah yeah so again just so many missteps but the emotional moments were the the cheesiest imaginable the comedy was sort of try hard kooky family friendly combination i really really hated porny almost everything he said just really it was just not it felt like it was trying too hard it it was like what they did with frank in the second one what is this the sequel to the notebook never saw it but i assume it's a lot of this type of nonsense i i quite liked a lot of what he did he had quite he had a few really Really? good lines i thought yeah um the ones that we didn't mention in the (laughs) in the in the episode (laughs) recap but I mean, it looked like garbage as well. The the C- yeah. I quite oh God, yeah. like the alien design as ever, but the CGI just looked like hot sick. Yeah, and it was just not well written, which is why the the emotional moments are awful, trite. Yeah, moments and the the comedy is is unbearable. Yeah. Um. And I mean, that whole universe has a way of leading you to where you're supposed to be. Hokey bullshit. It's just so <laughs> patronizing. It is a, a thing. And it's like, it's very. How is that the hook upon which to hang? the emotional moments of your movie. Well, what it means is we're going to have a whole bunch of fucking coincidences in this movie and it's going to be contrived as some sort of karmic thing. I mean, I don't know what the message of the film is really if there is any sort of thing being said by it. Tessa Thompson, early on, she makes some comment that she wants to find out what the universe is made out of. A quote mm. which is then echoed back when she's like falling into the abyss, which happens at one stage. Yeah. But does mm. does that change her? Has she changed? Have either of them changed at the end of the movie? No. I mean, Helmsworth has supposedly had a huge part of his... Hemsworth has had his huge part of his identity completely changed. You know, his mm-hmm. a lot of his ego was based on this. Also, why was he acting like a dick? Was it because of his ego? The inflated ego as a result of having thinking? He he. We didn't really cover this. He thinks he defeated the hive mind of Liam Neeson, but in fact he didn't, and Liam Neeson got indoctrinated. Which is quite cool, I think. Because that it was, was a twist. I like it's that because dark. the fact that I, I like the fact that it explored it made it utilized the idea that when you get neuralized, you just repeat the same line over and over, whatever mm. it is that the person who neuralized you said. 
dead. And in this case, Liam Neeson said, we defeated the um, Hive with, you know, nothing but our wits and our season series seven, the atomizer. And that just became the phrase. And he just keeps repeating it back. And that was really cool. But what was the impact? What impact did that have on Helmsworth? Was it, was he drinking because he knew it was a lie or because he got too big headed? And how's that resolved in the end? Well, he's also meant to be quite, He's not the same man after breaking up with his girlfriend, Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, and what was that? What was the timeline of that in relation to the whole Hive incident? Yeah, I'm not really sure. It's a bit of a mess, eh? Yeah, it really is. That whole that whole subplot, as hinted in the thing, just felt very unnecessary. Yeah. You're right. It's... it's what do these characters learn? Like yeah. Will Smith yeah. in the original changes he really does he becomes a man in black a man in black you know he yeah he realizes the importance of this role he figures out his part in the universe and he decides that he wants to be a part of it and i mean if teresa Tom- teresa if tessa thompson is <laughs> if already... teresa thompson and chris helmsworth <laughs> <laughs> oh the memorable duo they <laughs> she already starts with knowledge of alien life yeah, and, she's and, figured and it so, all out. Which is so fun. You can't, Again, I like the yeah. idea of someone trying to get recruited. So in order to have an arc, she needs to find out something new about this world. Yeah. Where she doesn't. Arc's she... over as soon as um as soon as Emma Thompson accepts her in. Her arc is yeah. done. And then her arc is kind of working through this case with Chris Hensworth, which, yeah, it, there's, there's not enough there for the audience no. to cling on to. And it, it doesn't bring anything new to the series. So No, and at no point did either of them feel like they were particularly at risk. And yeah. or in any way vulnerable. They were quite on top of it. Yeah. So, yeah, there was no stakes and no real interest. I mean, that pretty much does it. it it's yeah. a bit of a flat line, unfortunately. And it's it's a sad, hopefully, end to a long saga um, mm. since the original Men in Black, which we are going to have an opportunity to talk about in more detail soon. Um, but mm. I will reveal now as a film I'm still very, very fond of. Yeah, I really absolutely. love Men in Black 1997. I think it's our generation's Ghostbusters, really. Mm. I think it hits a lot of the same notes and is as good. So, mm. And I think 3 was a pretty good finale. Yeah, I, I, from what I remember, I don't remember it terribly well. I remember Men in Black 2 was one of the very early films I cringed at. It was as mm. my cinematic tastes were developing and I took my family to Men in Black 2 because we mm. loved the first one. And I remember cringing during it, which was mm. unusual for me. That and Men The Mummy in... Returns. <laughs> yeah, Men in Black 2 wasn't Great. No. Men in, yeah, Men in Black 3 still. was was better, but... Uh, I, I only saw it the once, but all I really remember about it is the fact that it had that sort of eyeball vision yeah. filmed from a character's nose perspective that only a cat would choose. Only a cat. I'm looking at you, cat. Um, <laughs> Fucking useless. Fucking useless director of photography. So that's Men in Black International, but as always, some good things came of it. Some things that made it worth your while. Yes. And now let's talk about them. Let's quickfire. Quickfire. Um, as always... The guns in this franchise have always looked great. Mm. In the scene where they're taking the car apart and like the car has all those secret hidden bits with the guns in it, they're just p- very pretty guns. Ah, oh, good stuff. The line from the trailer... That was an incredible catch. ...still made me smile when I saw it in the movie. Okay. Chris Hemsworth does d- just deliver those those lines really well, I think. It's just, yeah, I, there were so many moments that sort of came up and went past. And I f- mm. remember thinking to myself, oh, that's a joke and that's quite funny. But I wouldn't laugh because just the overwhelming sort yeah. of feeling i'd had at the time but i think that was one of them yeah um what does that say rubbish oh right yes jimmy um the alien that lands looks rubbish mm. and i kind of like that i kind of like how 
rubbish he looks. It's there's something about that scenario just because he looked rubbish in the picture that they had in the newspaper. Yeah. And it looked like a really fake picture in the newspaper. And then he just looks really fake. It was just a funny sort of yeah. reveal for that. Yeah. Look for all Chris Hemsworth being pigeonholed and kind of redundant in the role. He does play a louche very well. Yeah. Um the the shirt unbuttoned down to his navel and yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and he did have some, yeah. You know, he did have some other really great lines. I love his creating a diversion with his, uh, like stepping out to the other the men's in black, uh, with the line, "Hey guys, what are the odds?" I know it's just a stupid, cute, a stupid, <laughs> cute way of doing that. And I think okay. that felt like effortless, cute. Mm. Whereas most of the humor from this was too was try hard. I think and yeah, especially the dialogue. Um, yeah, God. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. The bad guys dance well. The special effects, they then sort of place over them, distracts a bit, but yeah. they're good dancers. I think they are actually dancers. There are a couple I would of imagine YouTube so. Dancers. They yeah. are. There are a couple of YouTube dancers who were then um, hired based on their moves. That whole thing, like, that's what I was thinking, wondering as I was watching them dance, and it filled me with so much cynicism to think, oh, they've just been hired because they're fucking, like, f- famous now YouTubers, and that's just the, the studio or someone has gone, oh, hey, these guys are famous now, let's get these in. The fans would love that. <laughs> let's get PewDiePie to play the bad guy in this. <laughs> PewDiePie. I think he'll get on great with um, Liam Neeson. <laughs> oh. oh. Broad strokes, Paul. <laughs> I like the line in, in Tessa Thompson's past where they, they hear the noise outside and the mum goes, call the police. And the dad goes, the who? <laughs> it's just a really... <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what that's implying, whether it's like yeah. a black black experience in the States thing or if it's just like well, the dad is, is a fool. Or It was just a really funny line and tickled yeah. me to think what that was that might be getting at. <laughs> oh, God. I like um, the fact that Pawnee, when he cuts his way out of the glass um, case yeah. thing, cuts an outline of himself tiptoeing out of the glass yeah. case. That was, that was that was funny. That was a fun detail. I like when Tessa Thompson's coming in and she like blags her way into the headquarters, or th- mm. she thinks she does. She yeah. just starts talking about the the latest case to the doorman who's sitting there with a newspaper, yeah. and as soon as she gets onto the elevator, and then the pug thing, yeah, she goes, "Oh, talk about amateur hour," and the guy just to- totally onto her shit. It was just yeah. a funny little. Oh fuck! Yeah. I just got in that lift with no problems whatsoever. <laughs> it's interesting nice to know that intruders intruders still get to see an awful lot of shit though. Because yeah. on the I guess they got neuralizers so they can just erase yeah. it. But exactly. yeah, you still get to see the office and all the alien shit. Mm. Mm. You've earned that much. <laughs> yeah. When Pawnee was on not Emily Blunt's shoulder, on Rebecca mm. Ferguson's shoulder, and Rebecca Ferguson shrugs off her cape, Pawnee does a little jump, mm. um, just so that the cape can fly off, and that was that was quite funny. It's quite cute that he did that. I also like when he breaks out of the jar and um, Rebecca Ferguson, when she notices, goes, Look at your little legs. You are so fast. <laughs> and she's chasing, out, like, chasing him oh, out of the scene. I like Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. I liked her in gen- general in this, delivering most of her lines through a sort of saucy tooth bite. Like lower yeah. lip bite, sorry. <laughs> she's biting her own teeth. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's how she got the part. Cats really appreciate that <laughs> kind of finesse. <laughs> Come right in. <laughs> <laughs> Grind down oh. to a point. Who <laughs> was who said that? It was visiting Sarah. Um, Sarah Ferguson. Yeah, why not? Sarah Ferguson. Sarah Ferguson. <laughs> Do you mind? I'm a respectable man. <laughs> That's our only knowledge of the royals at the bottom. <laughs> Best filter through which to view them. <laughs> Everyone, don't watch uh, the Queen's funeral. I was trying to figure the next upcoming royal thing that's probably going to happen, but it'll probably be that. Uh, yeah. I don't think any of them are due to get married. No. And then we can all tune in for Zara Phillips' coronation. <laughs> we'll do the running commentary. <laughs> They'll have us on the BBC at that stage. <laughs> 
reckon we'll be doing impressions of um, Adrian Epperson and um, Rick Mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they wanted. That's what they want when they get the pool, when people ask for the pools, Paul. <laughs> oh, Christ. I do also like, actually, um, Sarah, uh, talking of Sarah Ferguson, uh, <laughs> um, the transient they get out of that place because the one who's about to kill Chris Hemsworth is the one that Tessa Thompson saved when she was younger. Yeah. And um, he turns around and goes, Molly. And Rebecca Ferguson also goes, Molly? Are you shitting me? Really? Good good delivery as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I felt a little cringy. Really? It's a really good delivery. <laughs> and like really just flat English. <clears throat> it was that English artifice thing that we get sometimes where it just feels, sometimes when things are said in an English accent, it just feels very school play. Oh, and no. Yeah, that was a bit much for me. Ah, uh, it really worked for me. Okay, uh, as... Um, they're walking away and Pawnee says, uh, he has a bit of a lame exchange where he says, um, you can call me Steve. So I thought you didn't have a name. I just wanted to fit in. Hmm. And then Chris Helmsworth just very casually throws out, oh, Steve. <laughs> That's good. When they're, the scene when they're passing message, messages through Pawnee and, you know, they're saying, oh, get him to pass me the blah, get him to do this. There's, there is yeah. one line from Tessa Thompson where she says, Pawnee, can you thank him? But in a cold, serious way, et cetera, et cetera. Just play with it. I trust you. That was a nice little, all right. <laughs> nice little line squeezed <laughs> in there. Um, I like the noise that the hive made when it was hurt. Okay, kind of this maddening kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Mm. Good stuff. It was good. It was Lovecraftian. Oh, I love that. Oh, gotta love that. Gotta I love, love craft. <laughs> love Lovecraft. Lovecraftian. I really love 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 Lovecraftian craft. I hate every second <laughs> of our time together. <laughs> Uh, oh, mate, I haven't right, been recording. My... We better start again. <laughs> Hello, and welcome. <laughs> um, I've got to be awake in six hours. Cool. Well, my final good thing is um, <laughs> when they're in the club and Chris Hemsworth is kind of getting Tessa Thompson to spend time with Nelson Mandela to oh, yeah. charm him and possibly do some weird stuff. Mm. And she says, are you pimping me out? And Chris Hemsworth goes, what would make you say that? And it cuts to this symmetrical shot of dancers oh, wow. on either side. And then yeah. um, bargain on the sofa between them, like thrusting quietly from the groin and yeah. waving and going. <laughs> and it was just a, re- it was a really good cut to. Oh, I felt um, really on the nose to <laughs> from, me. We're from his be, line. We're going to be at odds on this one <laughs> because that felt just really like what's the most... It, it was like this book has too many words in it. You know, like what's the bluntest thing we could cut to here? I mean, it does work as a convention, like the hard cut to that. Yeah. To emph- it's a punchline, right? To, yeah, it, it to has to be. Uh, yeah, it just didn't work for me. Well, the last good thing then that we've got okay. is one guy who came along with his little attitude. And actually, he made me laugh twice in this film when I first saw hmm. it. And in both instances, I remember, I in, in re-watching this, I remember getting excited when those two laughs were coming up. And I couldn't remember what the lines were. And I couldn't remember what the joke was. But I just remembered hmm. the scenes that we were in. Like, yes, I, I remember feeling life here. <laughs> the man responsible is Rafe Spall. The two moments are. Yeah. I know this is in chronological order. It's in order of how funny I find them. The, fir- the, the first... Hmm. The first and last one is um, when he's talking to some bloke and um, Tessa Thompson, he gets chewed out in front of some menial guy and he goes up to the menial guy and he says, um, well, you weren't much help, were you? Which isn't that much funny. But then he, he lets it, he just lets a beat lie and says, well, thanks for that. I'm sick of you. 
which is great. I really liked it. It felt improvised. I'd be amazed if that's in any version of the 10,000 scripts. And my favourite one is when he's in the briefing with um, everyone else and he's trying Mm. to just um, rile Chris Helmsworth. He keeps calling him that. um, You look after puppies so well. You're so jealous, aren't you? Puppy's little fancy boy. (laughs) That's good. It was really good. It really made me laugh. Oh, nice. It's just the delivery. Yeah. Puppy's little fancy boy. <laughs> little fancy boy. It's just kind of with a little smile that he had. Just Aww. Yeah. He's good at he's good at that. He's Rafe. Yeah. And I, I just really like the scene where he's dressing down Edgar, um Edgar Wright and Tessa Thompson. <laughs> it just um it just felt right. Yeah. It felt Edgar Wright. He felt like he belonged in the, the organization for a change. Yeah. It, it felt like, yeah, this is the guy who's in charge. Yeah. Again, it felt like he was Blackadder. Yeah. And he's come in to talk about how shit his underlings have been. So you let him go. <laughs> just. Yeah. <laughs> Baldrick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I particularly liked the scene where they're talking. He said, look, there's only, there's only one punishment fitting failures like you. And that's emergency neuralization. And he just very quickly tries to get it out of his <laughs> his blazer. <laughs> like a kid showing everyone yeah, the I lollipop feel- that he's got. <laughs> I feel like he was written as the sort of nerd character who can never get ahead. Yeah. But he was just... Rafe Spool played him too kind of cool for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very man. well. It was good. It was very yeah. good. I'm glad he did. Thank God he did. Thank God. Um, thank God. Okay. How about that OG team? <laughs> nope, nothing from the OG team this week. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, there goes my break. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to the one better thing. And I One better thing. I said it. It's mine. It's my favorite. <laughs> my favorite toy. You can't have it. The one better thing. Yeah, well, I, I tried very hard to think of think of something. And, and, and without... Just recommending the original Men in Black, um, mm. which we discussed briefly earlier in the episode. I was trying to think of a you know remake of original content, but we've gone through a lot of that in past episodes. And there are some great rookie cop and veteran stories out there which don't quite fit into the, the mood of Men in Black International. So I thought I'd just go with just a really good odd couple story um, that's, you know, mostly mostly in this sort of family-friendly vein. And I'm just going to say Hunt for the Wilder People. Okay. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Took two watches for me. I wasn't a huge fan of it the first time around. Um, What's that a Taika Waititi pro- project? That, that's Taika Waititi, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, was, it was very twee the first time I watched it, and mm. um, I was clearly... It's not in a good place because it wasn't really landing very well. But then the second time around, so much of it worked more for me. Yeah, Julian Dennison playing Ricky Baker is uh, is a kid who's in and out of foster homes. And he's then adopted by Rima Tewiata, uh, the mum, and the dad played by Sam Neill. Um, mm. A very curmudgeonly, seemingly unpleasant, unsociable guy who doesn't really want anything to do with the kid. But the mum yeah. dies after a, a very short while and it's, the two of them are left to fend for themselves. And what happens is they mm. go on a sort of journey through the, the New Zealand bush as the plot thickens and thickens. And mm. it's a very, very charming romp through the New Zealand bush. And Sam Neill yeah. and um, Julian Dennison are, couldn't be more different. And mm. Julian Dennison's character is palpably frustrating and in a very annoying presence. And it's <laughs> um, it's a very fine line between doing that intentionally and it not seeping over into the actual movie itself. Yeah. It's it's a wonderful story told from the eyes of these two people. Mm. Very, very simple at heart. 
and just a way more fulfilling experience than watching Men in Black International. It mm, is. Probably a tenth of the budget. Yeah. Okay, so my be- my one better thing is a very belated sequel made to a franchise that had many had for had gone on too long, but actually managed to came up come along and rejuvenate it a little bit. And involves Tessa Thompson. It's yeah. Creed. Ah. Directed by Ryan Coogler. It's the belated very nice. belated sequel to the original Rocky, really, but it's um I guess picking up mostly from uh Rocky Four. I guess, where mm-hmm. um, Apollo Creed is, of course, killed by Ivan Drago. Of course. And it finds the young son of um, Apollo Creed, Adonis Creed, the excellently named Adonis Creed, yeah. uh, played by Michael B. Jordan, um, who suddenly decides that he needs to try and earn the name that he has or establish a new name for himself. It's actually kind of uh, complicated what he's got mm. going on. Um, and yeah, he meets Rocky, who is, you know, very much retired now and is working as a bit of a trainer, but uh, well, he's not working as a trainer. He's just in a restaurant, I think, but he's convinced to become uh, Michael B. Jordan's trainer mm. as he goes up against, who's the bad guy in this? It's a Irish guy, if I remember correctly, or he's just a Northern Englishman. Ardlo Hanlon. <laughs> it's Ardlo Hanlon. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, some guy called Conlon. Hold on. Anthony Be- uh, Bello is um, pretty Ricky Conlon, um, a sort of <laughs> British, a British boxer. Well, it says British, but it's an American site, so they might, he might still be Irish. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, he's a really intimidating presence and he's um, kind of cool. And there's some really incredible boxing sequences in this, including, of course, the legendary one take boxing scene that's just stunning. And it's, it really, the, the action in this is better than in Black Panther, I would say. Um, you know, yeah. which obviously suffers from sort of Marvel over CGI syndrome. But um, here is where Kugler demonstrates himself to be a really fine director of action. And he's made a really excellent film here. And I think, actually, the sequel to this was quite good too Creed 2. Um, did that yeah, I haven't gotten around to that yet. Oh, it's it's very good. It's not as good as Creed. It's not. It doesn't hit as hard. <laughs> it's, you'll yeah. Excuse. Yeah, uh, it doesn't hit as hard as um, Creed did, but um, cause I, yeah, and Tessa Thompson's really interesting in it. She's got her whole musician going deaf thing going on, so she's got her oh, own shit. Yeah, her own sort of sideline thing going on, and it's just it's a really entertaining sports film. So yeah, in the tradition of Rocky, it's probably the best sequel to Rocky that they ever made. So ah, that. cool. And that was the one better thing. The one better thing. Paul, how can people find out about Creed and us? Well, mostly Creed uh, on the, the Creed podcast <laughs> at OGTpod.creed.com. <laughs> Go there to learn all about Creed. <gasps> yeah. The the one-stop shop for all things Creed and balls <laughs> is OGTpod, uh, Twitter and Facebook. Creedbook, fakescreed.creed. If it sounds like we're not talking about Creed, you've just got to listen again. Start again, yeah. right from the beginning. It's about all the things we're not creeding. <laughs> It's all the usual stuff, really. If you want to tell a friend, please do that. We get by on word of mouth alone. And also the multi-million dollar advertising campaign that we've now been actioned by Pepsi Cola um, (laughs) for promoting their crisp, cool cola at an agonizing price. Spray it on your balls today. (laughs) Don't be a gay. (laughs) Can't believe they had to say that. They paid us millions of dollars to say that. Pepsi Cola, shame on you. I I didn't accept the money. I just said it for free. (laughs) You said (laughs) I would pay you. For the privilege. <laughs> the privilege of being able to besmirch an entire group of people on my podcast for the benefit of Pepsi Cola. <laughs> and and we've done that. And um, I think we can. Understand. Do I feel any better for the millions of dollars that Pepsi Cola bequeathed me for for disparaging? You know, I wouldn't want to call them a, a, a minority even because a co- that alone a is, community is, is yeah. A, a, a whole rich world, really, that we've isolated. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, all I have to say that really is, what else do you want me to do, Pepsi Cola? <laughs> so I'll do it. I'll do it. Anything. In an instant. Literally yeah. anything. I'll do it again in, in an instant. <laughs> so with, with all of that, don't worry about us. Pepsi Cola's got our backs. Tune in next week for a special episode. It's definitely, uh, I don't want to have to cut this out this, this week because uh, it's 
actually relevant. <laughs> and uh, all the things I said in the last episode, but cut out, it's that again. Just exactly that. Just go back and listen to that. And um, yeah, we will see you next week on The Paul Show. I'm Paul Show. I'm Mr. Paul. And remember, longer thing about men in, about men in black MIB, international MIB. It's actually Rafe Spall. <laughs>